This is The Doctor Is In, your bi-weekly podcast that discusses all things technical and not so technical. The Doctor Is In podcast is produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, and sponsored by DX Engineering, helping you shrink the globe. See their website at www.dxengineering.com. And now, here's your host, QST editor Steve Ford, WB8IMY, and the doctor himself, Joel Hallis, W1ZR. Hello and welcome to The Doctor Is In. I'm Steve Ford, WB8IMY. And I'm Joel Hallis, W1ZR. I promised you the last time, Joel, that I was going to avoid punning too much. I didn't but, take you seriously. Well, so. <laughs> but this topic is just begging for a pun and I I don't know if I can help myself. I will I will back off. I will restrain myself. It's the kind of topic though that brings a a thirst of knowledge <clears throat> to um to a number of people and that is the beverage antenna. And you're going to tell us what the heck a beverage antenna really is. Well, I'll try to do that. First of all, it's a uh, capital B because it's named after uh, the, uh, Harold Beveridge, who invented it. But um, it's it's basically a low-noise directional antenna designed for reception only, especially for use in the MF and lower HF frequency range. And what that translates to for hams is typically 160 through 40 meters. It's uh, popular more on the low end of that range than the high end. Is this the antenna I always see where it's really low to the ground? Yeah, that's the nice thing about it. It's, it's, it's basically just a piece piece of wire four to six feet off the ground, and some people have even laid it on the ground. It doesn't need any height. Um, you just run it through the woods, that, and that's the problem. It really wants to be a wavelength or two or three long at the frequency you're using it on to give the full benefit. What's special about it? Well, what's special is the method of reception is unusual. It's a horizontal wire, but it receives vertically polarized waves from the direction of the wire, and the way it does that is as the waves wavefront move, you can't see my hands demonstrating this, but <laughs> as the wavefront moves along the wire, it tends to tilt because of the ground losses, and the tilt provides a horizontal component to the vertical polarized wave coming along in that direction. So what that does is that couples to the wire, and the longer it is, the more copies of the wave you have as it goes along. So it sort of follows the wire and they all add in phase and end up at the receiver at the other end of the line. The end closest to where the signal is coming from needs to be terminated in a 400 to 600 ohm resistor, but it doesn't have to be a high power resistor and doesn't have to be a very fancy ground on the other side. It just needs to be some kind of a termination. If you don't have that, it'll receive from both directions, not, uh. not usually what you want. So the issue is that it, you know, it takes a couple of wavelengths, sort of. I mean, it'll work with a half wavelength, but not as well. Just It would work very well for the, the new low-frequency bands. That, uh, oh, like uh, 200, or rather... Um, 135 kilohertz and yeah. 472 kilohertz. The problem is... Say 2,200 meters, yeah. Yeah, the problem is that at 135 kilohertz, a wavelength is about a mile and a half. <laughs> and not everybody has a couple of miles of space, although if you're out you do. in farm country... Well, no, not really. <laughs> I, I can, I've thought about doing it. I have... I guess my lot is 700 feet long, which, you know, would be marginal useful on 80 meters, let's say. But it certainly wouldn't be very beneficial on the very low band. And there are other alternatives that um, can be used for um, that function that don't take as much space. Uh, flag antenna, yeah. U antenna, and a uh, number of different kinds of loops. Well, why do, if these things are so incredibly long, why do people bother with them? I mean, why go to all that trouble? There's got to be some... Enormous advantage, right? Well, it does provide very good receive performance, and it's a very easy antenna to implement if you have the space. So 
back in the 20s, there was maybe more space around than I have or you have these days. And Beveridge uh, made good use of it. And, and not only did he use it, but it was um, in the early days before there were transatlantic voice cables, for example, the uh, American Telephone and Telegraph Company provided voice radio links across the Atlantic, and they used them hmm. for high, uh, high signal-to-noise ratio on the uh, receive side of these links in a couple of different locations along the coast. So they were very good for a number of things. I guess the big thing is that do have a high signal-to-noise ratio. They do have – they're very inefficient because you only get a small fraction of the sure. energy that's coming from the wave, and that's why they can't be – effectively transmission because they would just put out a small yes. <laughs> fraction of energy, which is not what you need when you're transmitting. But if you're receiving, if the signal drops down more slowly than the noise does, which is the case because you're eliminating, it's very directional, you're eliminating all the noise and interference off angle and the horizontally polarized components of things. Um, so the signal to noise ratio actually increases even though the signal is reduced. Now that's easy to fix. You just put an amplifier and you amplify the signal and noise together, but the signal starts out much lower. So the, uh, I'm sorry, the noise starts out much lower. So the signal gets amplified more and you end up with a better signal noise ratio than you would if you used your transmit antenna. And that's the key difference. So, so that's why I see, and many of the pictures of beverage antennas, I'll see a, uh, a small receive preamplifier hanging there on the post. It's often right there at the uh, the antenna itself, although it could be, especially at low frequency radio shack. Of course, the the risk is if you're transmitting, if your transmit antenna is nearby, your preamplifier can get fried every time you transmit. I was wondering so you about have that. To yeah, protect yeah. that pretty carefully. It's part of the process, but it's it's not um, rocket science, and it's uh, all of that can and has been done many times. So if you have hundreds of feet of land. And that, now I'm thinking more of 160 meters. So you've got enough that you can string a beverage out there. It's just a few feet above the ground, let's say. Is it extremely directional it in, is. in the direction that it's pointed? The longer it is, the more directional it is. Oh, okay. And so what a lot of people do is they have multiple ones. So you only need a few. You need a lot of wire to do this well, too, yeah. I suppose. But wire is cheaper than aluminum tubing and, yes. and uh, 160 meter Yaggies are hard to build. So this has a very directional performance. You can put them in, in your favorite direction. It's also possible to make a uh, switchable bi-directional one if you happen to have a good direction. The rear side of um, your front direction, it, by using window line for the uh, antenna, you can actually do a switching mechanism that uh, causes it to change direction. This was described in a QST article by Ward Silver years ago. As I say, in my case, if I really wanted to, I could put a 80-meter beverage along the property line. And it's all woods there, so it wouldn't get anybody's way. That's one of the things, you know, if something uh, a couple of hundred feet long and four feet high, you may have problems with people or animals yes, trying to get through. A tripping hazard, yes, that, that's true. Well, can it be higher off the ground? I think it can. I don't think there's any reason it can't be higher, but that's usually more of an issue. I mean, if you have a farm kind of mm -hmm. land without a lot of trees, um, the supports aren't there. and. Uh, or you're going along next to a road. Or, but um, I don't think there's a big problem with it being somewhat higher. It could be higher than a head, let's say. Yes. Higher, higher than antlers. And what uh, prevents you from building a beverage antenna for the higher bands? Well, nothing except that usually on the higher bands, people have directional antennas that uh, can serve both transmit and receive. A Yagi, for example, probably uh, gives you better signal-to-noise ratio in your desired direction or comparable to a beverage maybe. But it can be turned rather than being acquiring a whole bunch of them. So there's no reason that I don't think that it can't be used, although with it's restricted to vertical incoming vertically polarized waves, and uh, that may limit its usefulness somewhat. Yes. So it's it's just easier to do something more clever at uh, smaller wavelengths, shorter wavelengths. I was following a discussion among some people who are uh, really into 
AM broadcast DXing. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, would a beverage antenna help those folks at all? Or oh, is... absolutely. I mean, that's just below 160 meters or quite a ways below, depending yeah. on what part of the broadcast band you're on. And that's that was one of the places it was used. So it, it has some utility if you have the space and it's not hard to do it. Interesting story. This was invented in the 20s and patented, but uh, during World War II, Beveridge worked with the U.S. government setting up various received locations, including one on the West Coast. And the story is that he had a number of Beveridge antennas on the West Coast for receiving across the Pacific and in particular was trying to maintain communication with aircraft that were being ferried out to the Pacific. It was uh. going on a lot. He was quite astonished because of the directionality of this. He could tell that the aircraft were flying on what would be the uh, lines of latitude as if they were plotted on a Mercator projector map <laughs> instead of an navi <laughs> aircraft navigation chart, which would take a much shorter course if it went great circle. And what was happening was some of these poor guys were running out of fuel partway out sure. and going into the sea because it was a very tight uh, kind of thing. So if their engines weren't precisely tuned or whatever, um, so long. <laughs> yeah. It was a one-way trip. He brought that to the attention of people and they changed to a great circle course and many lives were saved as part of the process, not to mention airplanes. Well, that's fascinating. Again, I've heard about beverages for years. I've never been in a position where I could actually install one or build, you know, build yeah. one. But I know that the uh, folks that really are into 160 meters in particular uh, seem to love those things. Once again, though, if they've got the room, that's yeah. the key. And there are alternatives that have come up that people have done. I'm not sure they're quite as effective, but they're better than not having any special receiving and, and uh, a number of been look under the u which is not spelled with a u but ewe yes <laughs> there's a number of other low noise receiving antennas for the lower absolutely that can work and some of them are even rotatable which is nice They're small yeah. enough that they've seen picture chimney mounted loops that are rotated that try to look like tv antennas for example <laughs> <laughs> well joe let's hear from dx engineering and okay. we shall return every ham radio operator knows speed matters whether it's jumping in your truck during an emergency or staying up all night for lightning-quick contesting, seconds count. And there's nothing more painful than being off the air waiting for equipment to arrive. At DX Engineering, we know a thing or two about speed. You can count on us to provide the fastest shipping in the ham universe. How fast? You get same-day shipping on most orders placed by 10 p.m. Eastern Time. It's that fast. So that new rig antenna, cable assembly, or replacement part you need will make it to your shack in plenty of time to work a remote DXCC entity or dominate the competition in the next contest. And the best part is DX Engineering offers free shipping for most orders over $99. Radio waves travel at the speed of light. Lucky for you, so does DX Engineering. Visit DXEngineering.com. That's DXEngineering.com. And we're back, Joel, with a question this time from Greg, KB1AWM. And he's asking, many hams use open wire feed line on HF due to its low loss, allowing for more efficient use of an in-shack antenna tuner. Since loss goes up with frequency in feed lines, I'm wondering why I never hear of anyone using open wire line on UHF bands such as 70 centimeters. Good question. It is. There's really no reason not to use it, except the higher in frequency you go, the trickier it gets. 
Yes. Mainly because the spacing starts to become a problem. If you think about two wires out of phase, which is what a transmission line is essentially, that can make a pretty good antenna if they're far enough apart. Yes. So um, open wire line can be used on VHF and UHF. The main limitation is that as the spacing becomes larger, a larger fraction of a wavelength, there is progressively more and more radiation from the two out of phase wires. Keep in mind that twin lead, the basis of window line, was developed for VHF television service back in the 50s. 40s, maybe. I'd forgotten all about that. Yeah. Yeah. But that typically had a spacing of less than half an inch. Yes. But in those days, the VHF channels went up to 220 megahertz. So, you know, this is not breaking new ground exactly. No. In fact, I've used, I had a, a 70 centimeter antenna that I designed to work with twin lead and got good quality twin lead and used that. And then, of course, at the other end, you've got to have some kind of impedance transformation arrangement and forth. And I, I guess what I used was a, uh, a four to one a half-wave loop ballon made out of semi-rigid coax, which worked well, although it's not absolutely necessary. And then I that got me to 70 ohms, and then I had a short quarter-wave section of 60-some ohm transmission line I made out of two pieces of copper tubing. There I was, and I had a 50-ohm transformation to 50 ohms in the shack and could run it into the equipment. So, again, you want to keep the spacing to one inch at two meters and, and a third of an inch at 70 centimeters, and nothing dramatic happens if that threshold is crossed, but you do get more radiation from the line, which is equivalent to loss, because signal it's not getting to the antenna. That's right. It's also giving you potential for interference to things and interference from things as it runs through the house and so 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 I guess you know two meters is uh, probably a lot easier and in fact the one inch threshold is a, is uh, more than the width of typical window line but when you think about open wire line don't think about the six inch spacing that people use on 80 meters think right. about a much much narrower spaced line much so otherwise it can be just as effective at VHF and you know have lower loss even if it's matched particularly if it's not matched and work very well excellent. Thank you, Joel. My pleasure. If you have a question for the doctor, email us at doctor at ARRL.org. The Doctor Is In podcast is sponsored by DX Engineering at www.dxengineering.com. Background music provided by Purple Planet at www.purple-planet.com. This podcast is copyright ARRL. All rights are reserved. Until next time, I'm QST Managing Editor Becky Schoenfeld, W1BXY, 73, and thanks for listening.